I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 150 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. 150 episodes. It's a nice little benchmark, that. Um, a good milestone. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast so far um, and who's supported us by subscribing, um, by rating and reviewing the podcast. Those things make a huge difference. I do talk about it every week because that's how we find a new, bigger audience for the podcast. So thank you to everybody who has done that. Please keep doing it. It makes a huge difference. Um, This week we're talking... F1 GOAT, the greatest Formula 1 driver of all time, because we're running a contest currently um, on our Twitter account so that all of you lot, the TI audience, can decide who the F1 GOAT is. Um, so we talk about that, uh, and we've also got a comprehensive review of the BMW M3 Touring. Um, Andrew's been driving it, um, and he's going to tell you all exactly what he thinks of it. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and enjoy the episode. To kick things off this week, Andrew, we're going to be talking about our F1 GOAT competition, the greatest Formula 1 driver of all time. So we've been running this contest for, what, just over a week um, on our Twitter account. Um, and the idea is to to put it to the people, to put it to the TI audience. And once and for all, we can figure out who is the greatest Formula 1 driver of all time. Now, I think we need to make it quite clear that it's just a bit of fun, don't we? And actually, probably both of us believe that comparing drivers across generations is almost impossible but it's a bit of fun it's a bit of fun and it's also i think it is just interesting i mean it's you know it's you it's no it's of course you're not you know we're not going to come up with a name um and for that person to be it's like you know when rolling stones stone does the greatest 100 albums of all time every time they do it the list is completely different yeah so it's just and, and you get this stuff called recency bias yeah um so you know, a modern driver is just going to perform better than an otherwise equivalent older driver just because um, he's more front and central in people's minds now. Mm. Um, and people, you know, are more far more emotionally invested in people who 
you know, they can see you and are out there and doing stuff now than there were people who they could never have met and may not have been alive at the time they were doing their thing. Yeah. Um, so it is just a bit of fun. But I find it interesting. Um, yeah. And we are now at, um, well, we're recording this Monday morning. I go up Monday evening. So we're now, and, and the new poll goes up at 7 o'clock every evening. And we're now in, you know, getting towards the end of the quarterfinals. So by the end of this week, and we did actually time this in a moment of <laughs> very rare organisation for the two of us, um, for our greatest driver, of, Formula One driver of all time, to be named um, you know, as the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend, the first Grand Prix of mm. 2023, um, gets underway. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it tees up the new season quite nicely, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you say. Um, but it's interesting. That I think we also have to acknowledge that we have a mostly UK audience, mostly British audience, and that's yeah. going to have some sort of impact, isn't it? Um, yeah. So we, <clears throat> you and I, we chose 24 drivers. Um, yeah. And I... We you, yeah we made that that decision who those twenty four were. I don't think there are any real surprises in there. Um, it's the multiple world champions um, and then the the sort of the the one time world champions and the very highly regarded non champions Moss Villeneuve Gilles Villeneuve. So I don't yeah. think people will really take issue with who the twenty four were. We also named although we didn't name them we chose eight seeded drivers and we haven't yeah. named who those drivers are because. This isn't. Uh, there will never be any consensus on who the top eight should be, and it would be yeah. a distraction from the the rest of the contest, wouldn't it? And it's and, important and reason, to have. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So the reason we seeded them was simply so that you didn't have, uh, just as an example, um, you know, Lewis Hamilton and Ayrton Senna, who I think anybody would expect to see progress, come up against each other in the qualifying, yeah. and then you lose and, and, one of them, and one of them have to go out. Yeah. That's, that's right. The so, only re- that's the only reason we had those eight seeded drivers, so that they would not meet each other in the first. I mean, they're all in the first round, but they wouldn't meet each other. And in mm. fact, one of the seeded drivers didn't go through. That's right. I was, yeah. it, was, it was our first one. So um, Nicky Lauda was not a seeded driver, but Jackie Stewart was. Yeah. And Nicky actually beat Jackie by a reasonable margin, which really surprised me. But that may say, say more about me than it does mm. um, about. You know, and again, maybe that's recency bias, maybe because, um, you know, Nicky was such a force, you know, more recently and then kept on yeah. and became, you know, stayed very, very visible um, right up until really, um, you know, he got sick and had to retire from the sport. Um, so maybe that helped him. I don't know. Or maybe yeah, people and, just and think people, he's a better driver. People also admire him for the, coming back from his accident, don't they? That's, that's got to be a big yeah. part of it. Um, yeah. So we had these 24 drivers. That meant eight qualifying rounds with three drivers in each. Um, yep. And only one could progress to the quarterfinals. Then there'll yes. be semifinals, then a final. <clears throat> and this all plays out on our Twitter account because it's, you can use the poll function and it's the best place for it because people can interact, they can comment, they can chip in. Um, and thanks to everyone who has done so, uh, so far. You've been voting in your thousands. Actually, it's been remarkable the first qualifying round had two and a half thousand votes which is great um and so they're drawn randomly apart from the cedar drivers they're drawn randomly and i'm just going to fly through them the first one was nicky lauda jackie stewart max verstappen um and as you say nicky lauda won that one 54 percent of the vote jackie stewart 37 max verstappen only nine percent of the vote so that might be a british thing it might be that he's uh, he's a fantastic driver, but it's too early for him, isn't it? It's a little well, think, bit too uh, that, That's what a lot of people were saying. They were saying, you know, we don't doubt that he has the potential. Yeah. But to say that he is the greatest Formula One driver of all time. Yeah. Um, when he's, 
only won two championships and one of those in very highly questionable circumstances mm. um you know i i think people just think it's too early yeah 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 okay so yeah, i agree with that <clears throat> his time will come um and then the second of the eight um michael schumacher beat nigel mansell and Jochen rint and then fair enough lewis hamilton beat emerson fittipaldi and nelson pk comfortably <clears throat> that's fair enough then sterling moss beat jack brabham and jensen button there was a bit of con- controversy there, wasn't there? Because uh, I think the Australians um, got a bit exercised by the fact that a bloke who had won, yeah. who won no Formula One World Championships yeah. beat a bloke who'd won three. Yeah. And I completely understand that. Yeah. I, I, I don't happen to agree with it um, because I think there are all sorts of reasons why Sterling didn't win um, more championships than he did. Uh, and obviously his career as a sort of frontline Formula One driver was an awful lot shorter than Jack's. But, you know, I completely understand that mm. if you look at the statistics... Um, you know, it's you know it's it, it's a hard sell, isn't it? But mm. you know that's but that's the great thing about these polls. People it's just decide, yeah, and, and they decide for the reasons that are important to them. There are no rules. Mm. You know, it's not like you know you can you know the more championships or the more wins or fastest laps or pole positions that you know, yeah. that should be taken into account. You don't have to take any of it into account. No. It's just the person who you think is the great. And the mm. other thing, um, what people were saying about Sterling, which I also completely agree with, was. No question he was one of the greatest drivers there's ever been, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the greatest Formula One driver. Mm. And that's a different thing, actually. Mm. Um, and, the, the, and they were saying that he was, you know, he was obviously amazing in GT cars and in sports cars, but as a Formula One driver, he was really, really good. But was he the greatest of them all? I think, you know, mm. I think there are question marks about that. So, well, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and then Jim Clark saw off Graham Hill and Sebastian Vettel. Um, Alan Prost saw off Gilles, Gilles Villeneuve and Alberto Ascari. Juan Manuel Just look at that, <laughs> yeah, particularly the Villeneuve yeah. um, Alan Prost thing. Now, if you think about it, you know, Villeneuve no championships, Alan Prost four, then it's pretty mm. obvious. But it shows that people are thinking about this with their heads as well as their hearts. Because I think emotionally, yeah. people genuinely feel massively more connected to Gilles Villeneuve mm. because he was such a charismatic, entertaining driver um, in a way that Prost, for all his undoubted success, simply wasn't. Yeah, he's more but, calculated, isn't he, Prost? Oh, yeah, he was the professor, wasn't he? Yeah. He was, I mean, to, to be honest, you know, he got where he, his speed derived, I'm afraid, by looking very boring on a racetrack. Because mm. he was never the one who was sort of, you know, oversteering into oblivion and, you mm. know, <laughs> going for, you know, do or die manoeuvres to take the lead. He 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 drove with the most incredible precision. Um, and he always played the percentage game. Mm. Um, and of <clears> course, <throat> over time, that's what you have to do if you want to be really, really successful. Mm. Um, and people seem to have taken that into account to a greater extent than I thought they would. I think I thought that people would be voting more with their hearts than with their heads, mm. but it seems not. Yeah. So Fangio saw off Fernando Alonso and Mika Hakkinen. No arguments yep. there. Um, and then in the last of the qualifiers, Ayrton Senna comfortably trounced Kimi, Ra- <coughs> Kimi Raikkonen and Mario Andretti. Um, yeah, no surprises again, there. Fair enough. So let me just rattle through the semi-finals, the quarterfinals, excuse me. So Lewis Hamilton saw off Alan Prost very comfortably. Um, Michael Schumacher saw off Nicky Lauda almost as comfortably. And yep. as we record this... In the third of the quarterfinals, Jim Clark is, well, frankly, well ahead of Sterling Moss, 73% to 27%. See, that, it doesn't <laughs> surprise me that Clark is ahead of Moss, uh, even though I would have 
Yeah, I think I would have voted for Moss. Um, but it does surprise me by the the, the margin. The margin. Me. Yeah. Um, and then again, and again, you know, um, I think that says as much about me as it does about either drivers. I just, you know, in my natural perception of things, and again, this may be coming down to, you know, Formula One uh, rather than any other discipline within the sport, that, you know, that Jimmy Clark is, you know, however highly rated I believed he was and i've always known that he's been regarded as a you know, total superstar actually the regard for out for him out there is even greater than i thought mm. I so think we've got people, one more to go haven't we yeah well on moss i think people find it hard to overlook the fact that he didn't win a championship but actually yeah. when you look at it he he basically gave one away one year didn't he he did um, and had he yeah. not done that had he been a champion people probably would have backed him a little bit more i think and, and, um, and also you know i don't think there's any doubt at all his career ended when he was at his peak. I, I'm mm. not sure he was actually getting better, but you know he was absolutely at the pinnacle. Mm. Um, in you know, and his his basically his career ended at the well. I mean, he he the accident happened in '62, but from a Formula One point of view, uh, his career ended at the end of the 1961 season. Uh, and yeah, so we don't know, do we, mm. what he could mm. have gone on to do? But you mm. know, none of that counts. Um, and so we've got a tantalising final quarter-final, if that makes sense. Fourth quarter-final. Yeah. Th- 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 we have to stress that these names were drawn out of a hat at random. Yes. We yes. didn't manipulate this. No. But it does mean we've got well, apart, apart from choosing the original 24 names on the eight seats, yeah. We, yeah, didn't, yeah. we didn't manipulate at all. But we got Fangio no. going up against Senna. Fangio Senna. So uh, how do we call that? We're going to lose a big name, a titan in the quarter-finals. Yeah. That's just the way yeah. it is. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know which way that's going to go. And actually, I think I probably have a suspicion. Well, I, um, I, I don't say. I don't want to no, clear the pitch for anyone. Uh, no, I don't want to um, lead the witness. No, um, but I've been wrong about this so many yeah. times. Yeah. I didn't think for a moment that Lauda would beat Jackie Stewart. No, I no. didn't think for a moment that Jim Clark would beat Sterling by the margin of which he appears to be beating him at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say. Mm. So okay, do you, okay? Do you know which way you would vote? And again, don't say. Um, oh. I, I don't. I don't. I, you know, if, if if I had to vote, and I haven't been voting for some silly reason, there's no reason why I couldn't vote for my personal account. Um, I don't know which way I'd go. No. I really don't. You can make a very strong argument for either. You really can. And actually, there's no wrong way to vote. Um, so it's going to be. It's going to be a close I, actually, one. Actually, yeah, I do know which way I'd vote. Do you? Okay. Well, don't say. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, anyway. And so the. The quarterfinals will, sorry, the semifinals will kick off later this week. And the semifinalists are Hamilton, Schumacher, Clark, and either Fangio or Senna. You can't argue with that, can you? You can't really argue with those. No, I think, I think ultimately, I think, I think, well, apart from whichever one of Senna and Fangio doesn't go through, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you know, people might say all about him rather than him or whatever, but I don't think that anybody could say that whichever four do make it are in any way unworthy. Mm, Yeah. Agree with that. Agree with that. So it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. And it's all happening on our Twitter account. Just go search The Intercooler on Twitter. It's at underscore The Intercooler if you want to find us directly. Yeah, um, the new polls go up. At, yeah, sorry. The new polls go up at 7 o'clock um, every evening. So um, if you're listening to this on Monday, then the Fangio Senna vote will go live at 7 o'clock this evening. And the first semi final will be on Tuesday. The second semi-final will be on Wednesday. The final will, be, will go live at 7 o'clock on Thursday evening. So we will know the winner by 7 o'clock on Friday evening. Yeah. Um, oh, mega. And it's going to yeah. be a tight one. The final's probably going to be the tightest vote of them all, isn't it? Oh. Um, 
So, oh, yes. it's mega. I'm really enjoying it. It's good fun. And thanks to everyone for chipping in with your points of view. And, um, you know, re- people really think about this deeply. And I love that. I love that. And they justify their vote, you know. So it's great. It's really good fun. Um, it's so easy doing what we do to be obsessed with Formula One. Yes. And actually, we do talk about it a lot. We do write about it a lot because it, it's, it's enormous at the moment and people love it and F1 stuff does well. But there is a world of motorsport out there. Um, and so I think we wanted to acknowledge that today in this episode and just sort of talk about who some of the other goats are um, across the different disciplines. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and for me, for me, I just, it's so black and white who, you know, I my know first nominee. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> it's I, Sebastian Loeb. Nine-time World Rally Champion. He's got far more wins than anyone. He changed the game. He won nine on the bounce. One of the greatest motorsport competitors of all time. How much must you hate Sebastian Loeb if you were the second best rally driver in the world at the time he won his first championship? Yeah, well, that yeah. You're quite right. And, you know, Petter Solberg was the last person to beat him in a title race, although Loeb was very young then. Um, Petter could have won multiple. And then the likes of uh, Mikko Hervonen could have won multiple championships. Yari Matti Latvala could have won multiple championships. There are a few of those guys who just didn't get a look in because they happened to arrive in the Loeb era. And then, of course, it was followed up by the bloody Auger era. Um, It's amazing. It's an amazing period. The dominance those two Frenchmen have... um, exhibited over so when did Loeb win his first title oh four oh four so we're now at 23 so yeah I mean that's basically the bulk of the last 20 years isn't it yeah so um the only other champions we've had since Loeb won his first um Ottanek and Cali Rovenpera uh, the, all, all the others have been won by a Seb from France um, <laughs> which is for France, whichever one you're talking about. Uh, yeah, okay, so great. let me. Okay, so, but there are other disciplines, aren't there? I mean, yeah. Tom Christensen. Yeah, absolutely on my list. Yeah, what was it? Nine yeah. Le Mans wins, Mister Le Mans. Yeah, but just, just, also, think, just think about what it takes to win one Le Mans. How. How lucky a driver is and feels to win uh, and, and Le Mans also, you know, once. And also, just how great drivers, how many great drivers tried to win. Mario Andretti tried, you know, almost all his professional racing life mm. to win. I mean, he was trying to win Le Mans in the mid-60s and he was still trying to win it um, in the late 90s. You know, I don't know how many times Mario did Le Mans, but it's, it, you know, it'll probably begin with a two. Mm. Never did it. Mm. Mario Andretti, Formula One world champion. You know, regarded widely as one of the most versatile racing drivers that, and, you know, that there has ever been. You know, won the Formula One, won the Indy 500, didn't win Le Mans. Um, you know, Sterling tried for years and years to win Le Mans, never did it. Um, so there are, yeah. And I know that, you know, success breeds success and, you know, Tom was always in, you know, really, really good cars. But yeah, even yeah. so. You know, and also, you know, Le Mans win, it's not just you, is it? There's always the other personal people who you're sharing the car with. But even so, I think I think that is, I think, I I do think that is an absolutely outstanding. Is that an Audi model over your, over your shoulder? And does that have Tom Christensen written on it somewhere? It is an R8, or is it, no, it's an R10, I think. It's an R10 TDI. I'm not broadcasting it, so people can't see it. Um, And it has, funnily enough, 
Capello Christensen and MC Nish written on it. <laughs> MC Nish. <laughs> TK Nishi and Dindo. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, fantastic. And do you know what? Whenever there's a, <clears throat> a dominant competitor in motorsport, there are people who just chirp up with, but they had the best car. Well, yeah, guess but why what? do they have the best car? <laughs> well, and also, you, nobody wins multiple, multiple world championships or, or Le Mans without having had the best car. Yeah. Or the equal best car. No yeah. one is going to go out there with the second best car and win five, six, seven, nine races or championships. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So you, I, I don't think I don't think that's any kind of defence. You know. Um, do you know the the only other one that I wanted to bring up, and I actually don't know much at all about bike racing, MotoGP. But Rossi, Valentino Rossi, um, he's won nine world titles. I now, as I understand it, a couple of those were in junior categories on the smaller bikes, but he's nonetheless recognised to have nine championships, and so nine is a bit of a magic number in motor racing. Loeb nine world championships, Rossi nine world championships, Christensen nine Le Mans. It's weird. Yeah. People don't seem to break into the tens. Um, and, <clears throat> although, and, 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 and Lewis, if not maybe everybody else, Lewis would back himself to get nine titles, wouldn't he? Mm. Yeah, but ten. Don't know, it just hasn't been done before. Although, as Lowe pointed out once, if Rossi's junior titles count, then why doesn't Loeb's junior World Rally Championship title? In which well, case, he's got 10. Oh, there you go. But he's not recognised as having 10, is he? Okay, um, I, I, want, I want to mention one other person. Go on. Before, before we move on. Well, because the thing about Formula One is it only started in 1950. Actually, oh, I think technically it started in 1948. Um, and I know, um, that I'm not going to bang on about this because I know that the sort of pre-war issue is, is sort of ancient history to, to most people. But I don't think we can have the conversation about the greatest drivers all the time without mentioning Nuvolari. I just don't think you can. Yeah. Uh, because Can I just remind his... you, by the way, that a couple of summers ago, you, yeah. you spent half a day tooling around the Cotswolds in his Alfa Romeo 8C. I did. Does that As seem real? <laughs> yes, um, yes, his Millimilia car. Yes, uh, well, I mean, it's just one of those things that you know you sort of it, it, it pops up in your mind from time to time. You think, when did I dream that? And then you think, well, shit, no, I didn't. It actually happened. happened. Yeah, thank yeah, you. So PK. I, remember, yeah, I, I was driving that, and you were you were chasing me in a works Aston Martin DB3S. Yeah, wondering yes. how this had all happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not sure, but it was uh, wow, what a thing to do. Um, but Nuvolari, I mean, you know. I, I, Okay, the reason I would, I'm not even saying that he is, the reason I think he's a contender is because I think you have to see any driver in the context of the era in which he was doing it. And Nuvolari, in the same way that Fangio was in the 50s, um, he was broadly regarded as, until the Germans came into racing with the, with the Silver Arrows in the 30s and the 40s and just literally just blew everyone away with their technology. The general view was that if Nuvolari turned up, you were, t- you were coming second. If Nuvolari turned up and finished, you were coming second. So that utter dominance um, of just pure driving talent. He was also, he was indefatigable. He was, you know, he was like a sort of Villeneuve in that he would just, you know, he would just race and race and race, regardless of how knackered his car was, how regardless of what position he was in. Um, and just occasionally, I think the famous example is the 1935 German Grand Prix uh, at the Nürburgring, where the full force of the Auto Union and the Mercedes teams were there. And he was there in an elderly, outdated P3 Alfa Romeo run by Enzo Ferrari, 
utterly unfancied because no one could get near the Germans uh, who had dominated. This was their second season of total domination. Um, and on a circuit where just pure driving talent was the ultimate determining force, um, he did it. He beat them. Mm, I wow. think they were so surprised. I'm not sure they had an <clears throat> Italian national anthem. <laughs> um, I think they call that hubris. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so Nuvolari was... I mean, certainly for Enzo Ferrari, who knew a bit, and okay, he, mm-hmm. he, he, you, you can't really know, he, he doesn't... His life didn't sort of, you know, take into account anybody who lived after 1988, but he always said that Nuvolari was the greatest driver he ever saw. Mm. And I, wow. you know, Ferrari said an awful lot of st- stuff which I, I don't, you know, particularly um, take that seriously. But when he says something like that, I kind of take that seriously. So yeah, so that's it. Wow, mega. Um, okay, well let's get back. I just, to want, I just one. wonder whether people, anybody listening to this, if you if you want to find a way of telling us who you think is the greatest driver who never raced in Formula One or who's not primarily known for racing in Formula One. Yeah. Um, whatever genre, whatever era, whatever, get in touch with us on, you know, on, on Twitter or leave some comments somewhere or, you know, just, just, just let us know who you think is the greatest driver of all time not to be most famous racing in Formula One. Mm. What's great about this is that we'll have people messaging saying such and such won 14 world championships in some bizarre discipline that you know would never come to mind and that's great we're not necessarily abreast of all that stuff so if if you think someone deserves credit and we've not given it to them here get in touch let us know um i can i can can remember sorry last thing of this i can remember just on that exact point asking Derek warwick what his greatest race ever was expecting him to say it was you know some grand prix which he nearly won or whatever and he nominated a super stocks race Mm. that he did in the 1970s, when he was, you know, he was, you know, barely out of short trousers on, a, I think, Superstocks are like on a dirt track or something, isn't it? And mm. in those worlds, all those myriad little different niche corners of motorsport, there will be the heroes. There mm. will be the most oh, yeah. amazing people that no one's ever heard of because yeah. the particular thing they did wasn't played out on the world stage. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, tons of those. Yeah. Um, so let's bring it back to Formula One because it's race week. <clears throat> the Bahrain Grand Prix this yeah. weekend kicks off yeah. the 2023 yeah. Formula One season. Yes. Um, we've had winter testing at Bahrain, three days of it. Um, we don't need to pour over all of it. Um, but oh, I was just so pleased to see Formula One cars running around a circuit again. And I can't wait for this weekend's Grand Prix. Um, so winter testing, Red Bull looked pretty ominous. That's a fast car. It looks really sweet surprised. to drive. Yeah. yeah. But it was always going to be, wasn't it? They weren't going to make any radical changes to the best car from last season. Um, the Ferraris look competitive, although I think there is a question mark over their tyre wear over a stint. Um, and the Mercedes, well, they're in a better, a better place than they were at this point last season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I suspect they still have work to do to unlock that car. Um, okay. I suspect they're playing a blinder. <laughs> Do you think so? I do. do you really think so? Well, Toto said something, didn't he, uh, during the course of it? He said, oh, we, may, we may have... I mean, oh, the other thing with all these things, it's all just mind games. Nobody knows. No. Nobody really knows, because nobody knows how hard the drivers are trying. Nobody knows what fuel loads they're on. Um, nobody knows what they're out there for. You know, there's a big difference between doing an installation lap and doing a quality lap. Mm. Um, my sense is, 
that of the three big teams of Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes, I think Ferrari probably have the most to worry about. Ferrari always win winter testing, don't they? <laughs> they always do that. They're always the, the quickest. And we're always going, oh, bloody hell, Ferrari look amazing. And then somehow something goes wrong, goes wrong during the course of the season. Mm. That hasn't really happened. I mean, you know, if anyone's won, won winter testing, it's Red Bull. Mm. Okay. Um, but, you know, don't forget that last year's Mercedes, despite you know, the worst possible start to the season, was a race-winning car. It was fully competitive. Um, and now having had the entire winter to think about how to improve that package and to sort of perfect the podless design. Um, I'm not saying they're going to be... They, they, I'm not saying for a moment that they're going to disappear as they have done in previous seasons. But I think they will be at Red Bull from the start. Mm, I God, do. Well, I, I hope um, so. They're definitely and, in better shape. There's no question. Yeah, definitely better shape. And I think that Ferrari, maybe not only qualifying, but over a race distance, I think Ferrari might struggle. But I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. That's why yeah. the start this time of the season next, is so This exciting. time next week, I'm going to come back on this podcast and just, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> chew humble pie and say, I can't believe how, how wrong I got it when Sainz and Leclerc have a one-two and you know, everybody yeah. else is nowhere. But this is why it's great because we, we, have the fir- we have first qualifying session, then the first race, and then all the BS stops, all the yeah. hot takes stop because we finally know what the order is. It's tantalising. And, and, and the other good thing which I like, I'm, I'm not particularly you know, um, saying anything about Bahrain, the, the country of the state, but the fact that first, the, the first Grand Prix is not in Australia, I think is a good thing because Melbourne always, Melbourne's always been a very poor form indicator. Mm. Certain cars just go well at Melbourne, which mm. may not go, and, and it doesn't mean they're going to go well for the rest of the season and vice versa. Whereas I think... Bahrain's a pretty good indicator of form. It's a fairly standard uh, so, track, isn't it? Yeah, a, a, a certainly a much better indicator of form. So I think that if a team has a clear advantage, you'll see it this weekend. Mm. Um, mm. I am, you know, despite the fact that last year was dull as ditch water, I'm absurdly excited. Somehow over the winter, <laughs> I just managed to, you know, having signed off the season thinking, well, you know, I might not bother with that again. By the time the new one comes around, I'm just, I'm just itching. Chomping, yeah. Yeah, I am too. I can't wait. Let's just hope it's not a steamroller by the Red Bulls again. I, I um, really, really, really don't think it will be. Um, so, uh, what was I going to bring up? Oh, yes, the other teams that look good. So, I mean, again, Aston is Martin. it grandstanding? Do we? Is it genuine? But, yeah, the Aston looked racy at times, particularly with yeah. Alonso in it. The Alpha at times, the Alfa Romeo looked quick. Um, <clears throat> others, I mean, Williams have clearly made a step forward. McLaren, though. Yeah. I mean, and I thought, you know, when we did our season preview, I was the idiot who was going, oh, you know, McLaren, you know, they're, you know they've got a really kick-ass <laughs> driver lineup now. Um, you know, Alpine, who are their big rival for the best of the rest, um, yeah. clearly having lost Alonso and got Gasly has gone backwards from the point of view of driver. And, 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 you know, they seem to be the team with all the work to do. But, yeah, as you say, I mean, McLaren seem to be struggling a bit. But are mm. they? Mm. Are they really? <laughs> Well, let's revisit it in a week. Um, okay, let's leave motorsport behind because there's a car I want to talk about. Go on. You, you've been knocking about in it for a few days, a week maybe. Um, yeah. First of all, have you come to terms with the way the BMW M3 Touring looks? Only because it was black. Yeah, it's an interesting what a difference it makes, isn't it? Yeah, you can't see the grill. Uh, <laughs> I think the BMW M3 Touring... I'm. I thought it looked really good. And I, 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 I put something on to this effect on Twitter and I got absolutely raised for it. Yeah. 
Um, but in black, where you can't see the grill, and particularly with the touring bodywork, I do mm. think it looks good. Mm. I, I really do. Um, you know, I'd be, you know, happy to tool about in one. I wouldn't, you know, want to have a sort of brown paper bag over my head just in case somebody recognised me. I think, it, I think, it, I think it's a, you know, it's not, you know, it's not gorgeous. It's not, you know, an iconic piece of car design, but I think it looks good. Mm. And it looks great in a colour which allows you to completely conceal the grill. Yeah, but it looks great from the rear. Yeah, it's squat. It's muscular. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have been waiting actually decades for this car. I mean, well, first M3 Touring was what, eighty. Sorry, first M3 was eighty six, I think. Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, thirty five, thirty six years. Yeah. So they've never done a Touring, and you know, if you wanted a fast BMW Touring, um, you had to go to Alpina to get one. But let's just make this point because it is it's badge an M3 Touring, so it is an M3 Touring. But the M3 has changed a lot over the years, hasn't it? Okay, yeah. and to illustrate, this M3 Touring is wider and longer than the E39 M5. It's also yes. wider than the E60 M5, um, Gosh. the V10 one. So is it really an M3? Because, you know, it's a big car. What is it, 1,900 kilograms as well? Best part of with the four-wheel drive and the touring bodywork, yeah. It's a heavy so, car. It's a chunky thing. And I think of it's 18-something. I think it's 1865, yeah, but... Yeah. yeah. I need to get, someone to get it on some scales. But, you know, <clears throat> in many ways, the M2 is the new M3. Absolutely right. Absolutely um, right. And, and so what, the M3 has become a bit more like an M5. Um, yes. So it's, it's worth saying that. But what did you think of it then? I... I did a thousand miles in it in three days. Um, not because I set out to do that, but because that's what I happened to be doing over those days. Um, and I was really, really sad to see the back of it. Mm. It mm. just... Okay, the only thing that I would have changed on the car that I had, it had the optional carbon seats in it, mm. um, which Lots I really, really wouldn't bother with. Yeah. No, well, I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. Um, but other than that, oh my goodness, it was just... It just worked so well, and it's so much nicer. It's so much cleverer a, a, a car than an M4. You know, the M4 is a coupe, so you know it's a lot less practical. I don't think it looks as good. Um, you know, you have the compromised chip, but even over the M3 um, saloon, I love the touring because obviously there's an additional practicality component, but also to me there's almost a conceptual thing. It's not writing quite so big a check yeah, yeah. in your head yeah. because yeah. it's the estate car. Yeah. And so your expectations of it are lower and therefore easier for the car to read. And, you know, it's not the last word in sort of pin sharp, steer it on the throttle handling response because it weighs what it weighs. And it's that kind of car. Um, and in an M4, that's why you and I always go on about, oh, we'd just much rather drive an M2 comp or, you know, than an M4, because it just feels, you know, more delicate, more responsive, you know, more the way we want a driver's car to be. But when you're actually talking about a 3 Series Touring, the fact that it's not like that is far more excusable, particularly because you can stick your dog in your luggage in the back of it. Mm. Um, and I just, for, for a car to live with, Rather than you know simply looking at it in terms of you know what it's like in on the road sorts of roads that most people never drive on or very rarely drive on like deserted mountain roads or racetrack, but to live with day in day out on um, going through towns up and down motorways on decent roads as well, I just thought it was such a it's a pragmatic car but just a really really sensible clever 
um, well-conceived, well-executed design, which mm. just ticked all the boxes I wanted a car like that to tick, apart from the fact that I haven't got £88,000 to spend on one. It's so expensive. Eighty-eight grand. And what was your spec up, dude? Do you know if it's well? Well, with 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 the carbon brakes and the carbon seats, it would have been it would have been a six it's figure a, car. It's a six figure car. An early oh, six for a th- M3, for six a three car. series, a hundred thousand yeah. pound three series, and 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 you know, and I think the point I would seek to make is that for ninety eight percent of the people, ninety eight percent of the time, an M three forty i Touring, mm, mm. which still has three hundred and seventy horsepower, will get you to sixty in four and a bit seconds. Mm. It's probably a better car, and it costs thirty grand less. I think mm. it's fifty-seven, fifty-eight. I think the N three Touring is eighty-eight basic, and I think an N three Forty I is like fifty-seven, fifty-eight basic. That's um, a lot, isn't it? But it doesn't look that good. Um, it doesn't look as good as the N three Touring uh, because it doesn't have the you know the you know the pumped up bodywork and that sort of thing, and and ultimately it, it won't be as good to drive. But um, yeah. But it's you know I really really liked it. I, I, I said I can't I couldn't remember when I was last so sad to see an M car go. Wow, um, wow. it's interesting. I, I I tweeted something about this and um, Chris Chris Harris, uh, who's got an M3 Touring at the moment and an M5 CS, hmm. came back and said that you know that of the two, he preferred the M5, hmm. um, and he said he. Uh, wasn't that knocked out by the amount of road noise that you got from the M3 Touring, which didn't particularly bother me. But, I mean, it does go to show, doesn't it, that there are, you know, and with the M2 comp that's gone and hopefully the one that's coming, uh, which we'll be reviewing in the next couple of weeks or so, um, you know, if that sets similar standards, you know, it's great, isn't it? Because we have been so sort of worried about the direction that M has been going in for such a long time that there are actually some really good M cars out at the moment. Oh, fantastic! And they yeah. somehow they they work with the weight. These are heavy cars, but they yeah. they work with that weight. It is clever. Um, so, what about the ride? Were you happy with the way the M3 Touring rides? Yeah, it was good Not enough. Too firm. Again, yeah. it would have been, I would have been far more comfortable. I think an M3 Touring on standard seats. I think actually you'd regard the riders for that kind of car hmm. as being good. Not great. But more than good enough. It certainly wouldn't be. Because, and and yeah, I'm very sensitive to these things. And I always have been. It's not just because I'm old. Um, I hate cars that just... Because, you know, a fine handling car, you can really appreciate, you know, well, not all the time, but a, a poor riding car, you feel every time you get into it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I suspect on the standard... I mean, even with the carbon seats, um, you know, I did, you know, three journeys each of many hundreds of miles on consecutive days um and was very happy to do so mm. yeah and presumably because it's a touring and quite a different car the the automatic gearbox bothered you less than it would in an m4 it's amazing it didn't bother me at all you see mm. and that's the thing that's the that's the that's the sort of the conceptual thing mm. um you know it really really winds me up in an m4 <laughs> yeah it does those it slightly does. slurred gear shifts yeah um and if I'm honest with you, I don't think I, I well, I mean, I claw thought about it because I'm professionally required to. But um, personally, I, there wasn't a moment when I was sitting there thinking, oh, come on, come on, come on, give us a shift, give us a shift. I'm just, mm. And again, mm. because in my head, I'm driving a three series estate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting car. It took them a bloody long time to do it. Um, Why didn't they do it sooner? I know. When the car was still little, still lightish. Oh. 
But they built and, one, and, didn't they? They built an E46, a one-off prototype. Just yeah. didn't do anything with it. Didn't do anything with it. And, you know, and now they've just finally decided to do it just at the time when you know, estates couldn't be further from fashion. Or they couldn't <laughs> yeah. be more out of fashion. Yeah, so people want SUVs, thought, okay, don't well, they? Yeah. Um, I really hope that it flies because that means they might do some more. It's a yeah. really, really, it's a really, really good car and it's a really great BMW M car. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think the world's a better place for it. Is oh, we'll have to wait. Well, they're never going to tell us exactly how well it does. But is it just one of those cars that people like us get all worked up about, and actually buyers aren't interested in because they want an SUV? I think I'm afraid. I think what will happen is that if they want a practical car, they'll get an SUV, and mm. if they want a fast car, they'll get an M4 mm. because you know an M4 is. Well, I think I'm trying to climb inside. An M4 buyer's head, I think they'll think it looks cooler. I think they'll think that it projects a more racy image of them. Um, and I think those things are more important. And, you know, if they want to go anywhere with their um, with their family or with their dog they've probably got, you know, an X5, they'll, they'll do that in instead. So the, the M3 Touring is just the first of a handful of really significant performance cars that we're going to be reviewing soon across the TI channels, um, yes. app, website, social media, on this podcast. Um, we've got some big stuff coming soon. Aston Martin Valkyrie. Yep. Henry's been driving that for us. Um, so he, I think it's uh, a week today maybe that we get to publish our story on that car. Um, BMW M2, as you've mentioned. So there's some big stuff coming. I guess it's because spring comes around, the weather improves, and all the tasty cars come out again. It's great. I love this time of year. Um, so stay tuned to all our channels because... There's some really, really important reviews coming soon. Um, okay, we've got a list of questions coming up. It's a good one. Um, and actually, it's well-timed because I have been talking to some people who know um, about this topic. Um, and so I'd be interested to get your point of view, but I've got a few thoughts of my own. Um, but before we do the listener question, let me just remind you all to go and rate and review the podcast. It's really important. It takes you no time at all. Um, but also follow or subscribe if you're using, you're probably using Apple Podcasts. You might be using Spotify. They will both have a little follow or subscribe button. Just hit that. It's really important. That's how we find new listeners. That's how the the podcast apps push our podcast. The more of you do that, the more we get pushed. And, um, and it's also how you make sure you don't you, you don't miss an episode. I mean, the, yeah. the, I, 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 you know, I, I subscribe to pod, various podcasts because... Um, Otherwise, because of the way my brain works and because I'm just busy all the time, I'll just miss episodes. Mm. Um, So, yeah. It's the best way. Just follow, subscribe. Um, So the listener question comes from Ross G. It's an interesting one. Is it weird, he asks, that we still trim car interiors with the skin of dead cows? Why do we need mammal skin in our cars? Is it weird in this day and age? Interested to get your thoughts, but I've, I've got some good insight here. Is it is it weird that we choose to cover our feet in the skin of dead mm-hmm. cows? Um, I think it probably is. <laughs> um, but we've been doing it for years and years and years. And I think, you know, in, in 50 years from now, then we probably won't be. I think we're in one of those transition phases. It's just one of those things that we've become so habitualised, uh, if that's even a word. Uh, we are so used to doing it, we don't question it. But I think the way the world is going, and I'm not making any judgments here as to whether it should or it shouldn't, um, I think it will be increasingly different. Uh, sorry, difficult to do that. Uh, I was speaking to one of the 
Bentley designers, uh, I went to talk to them about the Bacalar. You remember that sort mm. of concept car that they made a very, very small number of. Um, and I was talking to one of their interior designers and I asked her um, if they'd done a genuinely vegan interior uh, and if they'd been asked for a genuinely vegan interior. And she said that they had tried and they had been asked. Um, but the problem is, is finding materials um that will pass all the tests because you know mm. you can't just you know trim an interior in something that you like the look of because you know it's got to last the lifetime of the car mm. and it's got to go you know it can't you know it can't it, it can't get sun damaged it you know it, you, you can't have holes materializing in it. it can't just sort of wear through um and it has to meet you know the brand standards and everything else that you expect from the car and she was saying um she wasn't saying it can't be done she was saying it's really really difficult uh, and we haven't found a way of doing it yet. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And so I, I, ha- I had a conversation with a couple of chaps from Bridge of Weir. Um, yeah. It's a tannery, so a leather place up in Scotland. Um, and they provide really good quality leather to Land Rover for the Range Rover, um, but also smaller um, companies as well. Singer uses um, Bridge of Weir leather in its Aston restoration. Martin definitely have. I don't know if they still do. Yeah, so they're, they're yeah. one of the top suppliers, particularly to UK Absolutely. car companies. Yeah. Now let's get this clear: they obviously are partial. They have an interest. You know, they they are going to big up the use of leather in cars, aren't they? They're not about to say, yeah. "Do you know what? It's not the right stuff." Um, but it was interesting to get their point of view, nonetheless, on why leather is still a good material to use. It's really important to say that all their hides, and I think this is probably true across the board in the car industry. All those hides come from cows that are being reared for beef or for milk, for dairy. So, And these are cows that are being slaughtered anyway. They would never, they say, kill a cow just for its hide. So it's actually a byproduct of other industries. Um, And the point to make is that if the car industry stopped using leather tomorrow, not a single cow would be spared its fate. Because these cows are not being slaughtered just for their hides. And if these cows are being killed, and they are, for beef or for dairying, they've come to the end of their, their life. It's better that we use every part that we can, isn't it? Rather than just chucking um, bits of these dead cows away. Um, yeah. And so leather was used initially in the early days of the car because a lot of cars were open to the elements. Yes. And it was really the only material that they had. It was waterproof. It was wiped down. It was hard wearing. Um, and so it became the obvious choice. And then over time, actually, it became associated with luxury, didn't it, leather? Yeah, but I mean, um, initially, back in the early days, I mean, for instance, I know that if you're being really, really posh, yeah. um, you have cloth upholstery. So, right. the, so the Bentley, what do they call it, state limousine, mm. doesn't have a leather interior. Mm. And it's not because they're trying to be environmentally friendly. It's because leather was... And, and you also used to get... Uh, do you know what I mean by a Sedanka Deville bodywork? No. <laughs> so, so okay. So, so Sedanka Deville is where um, the owner and his or her other half sit in the back undercover, mm. and the poor oh, okay. sod up front. Yeah, he's, it's yeah, open, he's, yeah, he's got the open top, and so the chauffeur would sit on leather mm. okay. because he gets soaked, and in mm. the back they'd have cloth mm. because <laughs> that wasn't That's the fun, problem. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so leather was seen to be a pragmatic durable hardy you know white clean uh material which you used because uh 
it probably was cheaper than you know doing proper upholstery. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so the the point in the Bridge of Weir chats made is that it, it, leather is actually still the best option because leather wicks it breathes. Um, and there's no man-made waterproof material that breathes, that wicks like that, that takes moisture away from yeah. your skin. Um, yeah. Also, it, it's still wipe clean. It's still waterproof. It's very tough. It's very durable. Um, it can also, at the end of the car's life, it can be recycled or disposed of. Now, the alternative that's often being um, trumpeted these days is it's called vegan leather, which is actually just a very clever bit of marketing because it's plastic. It's plastic leather. It's not vegan leather. It's plastic. So it's derived still from crude oil, you know, and that's, come on, we're supposed to be moving away from that stuff, aren't we? Um, and vegan leather cannot be disposed of in the same way. And basically leather is, it's like wood. It's one of these amazing natural materials that we just can't better ourselves, at least yeah. not on any great scale. Um, and so for all these reasons, leather remains a very good option for car interiors. Now it should be said that there are more and more people out there who clearly and for good reason just don't want animal skin in their cars mm. and that's fine i actually totally understand that um and car makers are duty bound to offer a good alternative but for everyone else leather probably remains the most suitable material yeah there could you read a question all right well there you go ross g thanks for sending that question across um Keep sending your questions in because we like ending the podcast with them. Um, and we'll do it again next week when we will have a better idea of what the 2023 Formula One season is going to deliver. And who the greatest F1 driver of all time is. Oh, yes. We will need that as well, won't we? Yeah. God, there's Great. all sorts going on. There we go. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.